morning, everybody. How's it going today? Good. Hey, you guys, you like sound like you're really having a good day. Shocking. No, just kidding. No, it's, it's awesome. It's wonderful. Last night, those guys, not so much. No, I'm just kidding. No, whatever. I don't know. All right. Hey, I had a tough week. You know, good, good day today, but I had a tough week. Uh, on Wednesday, I'm having a meeting up in the office, and uh, I got Josh in there, and Dan Ripple's in there. We're, um, Dan's our worship leader over in the family room uh, at the next hour. And so the three of us are talking about the weekend coming up and what the worship gathering was going to be like and what's going to happen here this weekend, things like that. And I got a call in the middle of that meeting from a good friend of ours, and uh, she told me that my wife had had a crash on her scooter. My wife drives a little 150cc motorized scooter around town, and she loves it, but she pulled up in front of this new house that we're buying and crashed right in front of the house. And uh, scooter landed on top of her, and my friend on the phone said, looks like she has a compound fracture on her ankle. So I left the office and, and uh, rushed over to the ER here at Mercy Folsom and met them out in front of the hospital and then went inside. And, you know, walk through that whole journey with my wife. It's not fun, as, some, as you can imagine, some of you have walked through stuff in your family. It's not fun having your loved ones sitting there on a, on a wheelchair waiting for them to take x-rays of what's going on with the leg. And it uh, turns out it was not a compound fracture, which is good news. Um, but she, well, I'm not done yet. <laughs> if I remember, I started this by saying it was a bad week. Yeah, so yeah, give me a minute here. <laughs> I'll try and get it better before we get, before we're done today, okay? Is that good? All right. So anyway, so it's not, it's not so bad, but she did, she did break her heel. She chipped a bone on her heel, and then the top of her foot's pretty lacerated up, pretty nasty. And uh, so we went home and got her cleaned up and, you know, got her kind of settled at home and stuff and uh, went through the night, got up the next morning, got her ready. Now it's my job to help her get ready for the day and figure out what's going on and things like that, and that's not my forte. Sorry, sorry, I'm used to her serving me. I'm, that, that's just how it rolls, so I'm sorry. But uh, anyway, so I'm just about to leave. I got her all set up for the day, and I'm about to leave the house to come over here to the office. And I got a text from a neighbor across the street, and, and she sent it out to a few of us on our block. And it said, every mailbox in our, on, our, in our, on our whole street had been pried open, and all the mail had been stolen overnight. I'm like, well, that's no, you know, that's inconvenient, but that's no problem because we pick up our mail and bring it inside every night. So, you know, we didn't have anything in there. So, but I thought I'd go back in and tell Donna what happened just in case the cops came by or whatever so she'd know. So I, I told her, yeah, the mailbox was broken into. And she said, oh. I said, um, you, you, you got the mail last yesterday, right? She said, well, no, actually, I was kind of in a rush going out on my scooter, and uh, so before I went, I just, I went to the mailbox, and I looked at what was there, and then I put it back in the box. Who does that? I said, well, whatever was in the box has now been stolen. And she said, I said, do you remember what was in there? She said, no, no, I don't remember. I can't. I said, can you think of anything that might have been in there? Well, so I told you last week we're buying another house. And, and uh, she said, well, I do remember that the title company had sent us a big package of information. That was in the mailbox. 
And I'm like, I bet that had my social security number on there. And I bet that had my bank account numbers on there. All of them. Well, not really that many, but. (laughs) Ushers. This was really going to be a sad story. <laughs> All right. So we called the title company. They said, no, there's no significant numbers in there, just how much you paid for the house. So your crook now knows how much you're worth or, well, I don't know, whatever. So anyway, so that maybe is not such bad news, but I'm not really sure. I don't know when the fallout of that might end up. All of that story to tell you this. In two weeks ago, we, we started a series. We're going to wrap up today called And So It Begins. We talked about the idea that a faith life in Christ begins with his resurrection. If Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, nothing else matters for those who follow Jesus. In fact, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, you really should stop following him. He's no different than Confucius or any other teacher. He said some nice things, taught us how to live a nice life toward others. But if he didn't rise from the grave, nothing about Jesus really matters all that much. And so it all begins with resurrection. And then last weekend we talked about faith and said, let's take this faith conversation a little bit further and figure out what faith looks like. And remember, if you were with us, you remember I brought up a chair. If you weren't with us, just a little bit of a summary. I brought up a chair uh, to be able to sit in and said, a chair demonstrates faith for us. So faith exists in three parts. The first part is knowledge. You cannot trust Jesus if you don't know anything about him. So faith begins with knowledge, but then it moves on from knowledge to the next step, which is agreement with that knowledge to be able to say, this is a chair, and I agree that it's a good chair. This is Jesus, and I know that he's called the Son of God, and I believe that he is, but that's just agreement. That's not faith yet. And so faith is only when you move on to the next step of that journey, and that is commitment. You you don't ever trust a chair until you sit down in it, until you make a commitment to it. And you don't trust Jesus until you make a commitment to him by faith, to choose to follow him by faith. And when you make that commitment, now you cross the line of faith, and now you're trusting him with your life. What I want you to understand before we, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to look into some more scriptures today. What I want you to understand is when you cross the line of faith and you decide, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus And I know some things about him, however limited that knowledge might be. And I agree with the knowledge that I have about him. And I commit myself to trust him. When you do that, you commit yourself to trust Jesus in the really good times and the times that are not so good. You commit to trust him for that. And nobody's life, when you come to faith in Jesus, nobody's Christian life is always up and to the right. It'll always be to the right, but it's not always going to be up. And that doesn't mean that God is bad. That doesn't mean that God let you down or let us down. It just means that life happens and we live in a fallen world and God walks with us in the midst of those things, whether they're good or bad. So all this happened to us on on Wednesday and Thursday. And I just, I'm I'm grateful because I don't always get to, I don't always respond like I should. You know, want to. It's like, okay, I know the Christian life. I know how it's supposed to be lived out in theory. And uh, in practice, it's not always the same as that theory for me as well as probably for you. But on this particular occasion, I was just able to stop and say, God, you are good. 
I believe that you are good. I have my faith in the fact that you are good. You are my generous Father. You are a loving Savior. You redeem us, even in the hard spots. I have friends in my life, people in my life, who use a phrase sometimes about God. When something good happens, they will say, uh, you know, like, this really good thing happened. Isn't God good? This really good thing happened. Oh, God is so good. And I always want to ask, but I never really want to burst their bubble right then because they're having a really good day. So, But I always really want to ask, like, you know, if that had been the opposite, if your good thing had been the opposite, God would still be good. God is not good because your circumstances are good. God is not good simply because you're going on an upward path today. God is not good when it goes up and bad when it goes down. God is always good. And when you commit yourself to Christ, part of your life is understanding that. Part of your faith journey is understanding that and living out that faith. And I just feel like we should kind of, that's sort of the wrap-up of last week's talk together before we move on to the next thing. Because in your life, a lot of you are having a great day. It's fantastic that so many of you are having a great day. It's only like 9.30 and you're just, you know, the coffee was good and everything's rolling. <laughs> Beautiful. And some of you aren't having that great of a day. But you know, if you're, not, if you're not having a great day, God is still good all the time. And that's the, that's the message we believe. That's the truth we believe here at Lakeside. All right. Let's pray to our good God and then we're going to look on to the next thing he wants us to see, I, I believe. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your love for us. You are good and you are faithful and you are generous all the time. And I praise you for that. I praise you. Your praise will ever be on my lips, Lord. And I know part of my faith story is that I have this knowledge that we live in a broken, fallen world. And I bring my own brokenness to it. And we all bring our own brokenness to it. But Father, you sent your son Jesus to come into this world to live a holy, holy, holy life, to die on a cross and to rise again to redeem us from this broken world and in the midst of this broken world. And Lord, for those things, I'm so grateful to you. Lord, today in these moments that we have together, would you teach us, would you open up your book to us, would you open up through that your heart to us? May we see you together, may we know you together, may we trust you together. We ask through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, let's do something a little bit different today. At the end of our, at the end of our time together, I want to do a little bit of a Q&A session, a little question and answer session. Because I, I think sometimes we start going down the road of these, these kinds of things we're talking about, faith and resurrection and what does it all look like. Sometimes that can raise questions. And, you know, maybe everything I say to you is all perfectly clear and you have no questions. But somehow I doubt that. So, and it's probably more on me than it is on you. So, but at the end of the day, we're, I'm going to give you a chance to ask some questions. Or actually, through the message, I'm going to give you a chance to ask some questions. So we're going to put a number up on the screen. We're not going to give you a microphone because that's risky, too risky. But we will let you ask some questions. If you want to text your questions to us to that number... We will, at the end, just save a little bit of time, and I'll try and address some of those questions. Especially, I want to focus on some of the ones that deal with the journey that we're on, this, this And So It Begins journey of faith and resurrection and hope, and how do we live our lives as followers of Jesus. Okay? So anytime you want to, you can send it in. The guys in the back are going to kind of compile that and give me some questions to draw from when we finish up today.
All right, so let's look into Scripture. Let's just think about a little bit who our God is. Uh, to start that, let me, let me just give you another window into me and who I am, who, what my life is like, things like that. I'm the kind of person who likes to be liked. How, how many of you are like that? How many of you, you like to be liked? About 30%. The rest of you, are you just indifferent or do you like to be hated? Where, where are you? I, I can't figure out where you are. I like to be liked. I re, I've been like that since I was a child. I liked it in mi- middle school. You know, the, the days that I was popular, that was cool. The days I wasn't popular, that wasn't so fun. You know, high school, it's like, oh, it's good to be popular. It's good to be liked. I like to be liked. My challenge, and you don't all share the same challenge in every detail, but you share some of it. My challenge is that I lead an organization called church. And in this world, in this environment today, a lot of people are not too fond of church or of churches. And it's not, it's not shocking that that's true because Jesus told his disciples, he said, the world has hated me, so they will also hate you. So Jesus gave us a heads up right off the bat. But sometimes I wonder if when the world hates us, it hates us for different reasons than it hated Jesus. I think they, they hated Jesus because they didn't know what to do with him. They, he was holy, 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 but he had this amazing love. But he loved the people that were unlovely and unlovable. And so the lovely people didn't love him because of that. But I'm not sure that the world hates the church and hates those who are followers of Jesus for always the same reasons. Sometimes they just don't like us because we're not very likable. Sometimes those who follow Jesus are rather annoying in unnecessary ways. And, and so they don't like us. And so it's weird to be the leader of a church who, you know, it's like, you know, we, I think we get along pretty well in our community and things, but a lot of people just don't like church. Here's the good news headline for today's topic. Jesus Christ passionately loves his church. You're part of this thing. We're part of this thing. And you may have just started with us, or maybe you've been here for a long time. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a short time or a long time. But if you're here, you're part of this. And here's the deal. Jesus passionately loves his church. With everything he has, he loves it. I'm not always sure that he's proud of it. But he loves his church all the time. He loves the church in general like the, the universal church, the worldwide church. He loves, he loves uh, specific churches like Lakeside Church or like the other churches in our community. And he loves the people who are part of those churches. He loves us and it passionately, even when the world hates it. So have that in your mind before we get looking into Scripture today. Jesus loves his church. Now, let's go to Scripture. If you have your Bible out, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some on the chairs near you. You can use one of those. You can have one of those and take it with you. That'd be awesome. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read for you an excerpt from a passage. I'm going to start kind of in the middle of a passage and quit before I get to the end. But I'm not going to take it out of context. We'll see the context of it in just a moment, okay? So Ephesians 5, verse 25 says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 
In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. We are members of his body. If you have crossed the line of faith and you said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to give you my life, I'm going to commit my faith to you, then you'll become a part of this thing that the Bible calls church. And did you see what it says about Jesus in relationship to his church in that statement? He loves it. He loves it. Now, this, I, I, I sort of I pulled this out of context when I read it, but I, let me go back and give you some context of what's going on. This little statement about Jesus and how he feels about his church is part of a larger section that talks about human relationships in the church. There's three sets of relationships that he talks about. There's husbands and wives, there's parents and children, and there's masters and slaves. Or in our world, we would say employers and employees, uh, uh, bosses and employees, maybe. And so there's these different relationships. And he says, if you're a Christ follower in any of those relationships, here's how you ought to live your life. And he starts off with this umbrella statement that I didn't read for you. It's in verse 21. It says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In all three of those significant relationships, marriage and family and work, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we often get this confused. We often, I don't know who we is, but we often get this confused and we make that, we make that whole submit thing sort of a woman thing. Like men will say to the wife, you know, woman, you're supposed to submit to me. I'm like... Man, if that's written to the wife, it's none of your business if she submits to you. It's not your command to her. But even that, it's not really about the woman. It's about all of us. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, hey, wives, when you do this toward your husband, it looks like respect toward him. You should respect your husband. And husbands, when you do this, it looks like you should love your wife. And I know some, sometimes wives get all sideways with that. It's like, well, I have to respect my husband, but all he has to do is love me. As if that was always so easy. As if you always made that. No, sorry, no. So, so set that stuff aside for a minute. The whole deal is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But here's what he says. Husbands, love your wives. Here's the command to husbands. Love your wives. How? Okay, let's do interactive, okay? Lo husbands, love your wives. In, in terms of what Paul says in Ephesians 5. How? Like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He sent her flowers on Valentine's Day, right? Like, oh, church, I'm gonna, I wrote a poem for you. And I'm sending you flowers. I'm giving you chocolate on Valentine's. That's how Jesus loves his church. No, how does Jesus love his church? He gave his life for her. Ladies, all you have to do is respect that dude. Men have to give their life for you. That's the calling. Now, I'm not really here to say that one is higher than the other. Those are both high callings, high commitment type activities. But, men, he's saying, I want, you to, I want you to do what Jesus does for his church. I want you to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Now, I'm going to set all that relationship stuff aside. You can go back and study it. I want to focus on Jesus today. Because when you put your faith in Christ, you join his church. And you have to know this. Jesus passionately loves his church. And you were included in that. 
Now, there's some metaphors that he uses in this passage to talk about Jesus. Two metaphors. Metaphor, remember, is a way of saying one thing to mean another, to picture another. So in this passage, the Bible uses two metaphors to describe church. One is the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. And the other metaphor is Jesus is the head and the church is his body. And he kind of, Paul kind of jumps back and forth between these two metaphors. You've got to kind of pay attention to what's going on in the story. Let's take the first one first. He says, Jesus is the groom to his bride, the church. And Jesus has, he sets up sort of a weird culture of how the, of how the bride gets ready for the wedding. So I just, I just had the privilege of having my daughters get married last year. My, first, my eldest daughter, who got married first, she just passed her first year anniversary. So she is well on her way to wedded bliss. I'm sure of it. So, you know, one year down, 60 more to go. It's going to be fantastic or whatever. So, uh, so they're like, they're on their way. So we did, these, we did these weddings last year, two weddings. And I remember watching the whole deal. And there's someone who's responsible to get the bride ready for her wedding. Who is it? Oh, Okay, yeah, maid of honor is one, and bridesmaids are others, and there's another. The mom. Don't cut the mom out, because she wants to be there. She wants to get her all dolled up and ready to hand off, or something. Right, so that, that's how it rolls. In our culture, in those, in those two weddings that I got to be a part of this last summer, uh, or this last year, those, gr- those, those grooms, those, those young men, like, you better stay far away from her till the wedding, dude. Not coming in there to get her ready. That's not how it works. But Jesus has a different culture. In Jesus' culture with the church, he's the groom, the church is the bride. Jesus gets the bride ready. It says, he gave up his life for her. Listen to these words. He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, which is the scripture, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. That's where we get the idea of a radiant bride. It's like the most common adjective to describe brides. Radiant. Well, it's, it's taken after the church. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It seems like the, the way that the bride moves through this life and gets ready for the wedding where she will be married to Christ in a, in a metaphorical way... It seems like Jesus is the one who gets her ready to present her to himself. That's like the the groom coming along to the bride and go, hey, honey, you don't look so hot yet. You're kind of a mess. And you got some stains going on there. I know you got your pretty white gown on, but if you got some stains rolling down there, that's not looking so good. And it's all wrinkled like it just came out of the box. And so I'm here to help. Ladies, how would that go over if your husband just can't, you know, I'm here to help you look good, babe. How would that go? Not so good. But that's what Jesus does. Because he's the only one who can. Jesus comes along and he says, I want to get rid of the spots. I want to get rid of the wrinkles. I want to get rid of the blemishes. I want to get rid of all the problems that you have. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to give my life to get you ready so I can walk you down the aisle, so I can turn around and receive you to be my bride. I'm going to give my life to make that happen. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves us. 
And of course, church, church is rather messed up, isn't it? I mean, not this particular one. <laughs> well, okay, this particular one, too. I mean, the church is just messed up. We, we have blemishes. Picture, picture a bride in a white wedding gown. Have you got a picture of it? It could be yours, it could be your wife's, it could, you know, whatever. Picture a bride in a, in a wedding gown, and she, her wedding's not till 6 o'clock in the evening, and so the last meal she had was at 11.30 in the morning, and she's hungry. And she's scrounging around the wedding site to get something to eat before the wedding, before she goes down the aisle, and she's got to wait for another hour and a half before the, you know, the, the reception happens. She's just, like, hungry, and she asks around to her bridesmaids, does anybody have anything to eat? And somebody says, well, I brought some spaghetti from last night. They got it right here in Tupperware deals. Here. They put it in the microwave. They give it to the bride. And it's got meatballs, which are rolly. <laughs> she takes a plate of spaghetti with a bunch of meatballs. She takes one bite of the meatball, and the other meatball falls off the plate right down the dress. <laughs> She's stained with spaghetti sauce. There's no way she can walk out there like that. And maybe the stains are worse than that. The bride has blemishes. The, the bride has wrinkles. The bride has stains. That's us. Which one of us does not? Which one of us does not bring blemishes into the arrangement with Jesus, into the relationship with Jesus? Which one does not? Don't we all? I do. The bride has blemishes. The church has blemishes. We have not always done well as church. For 2,000 years, we have not always done well. We have not always done well with race. Some people have said the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour in the American week. We have not always done well with race. We have not always been the ones to seek reconciliation first. We have often loved ourselves more than we love our neighbors. especially when our neighbors don't look exactly like us. We've not always done well. We've not always done well with sexuality. It's been hard for us to learn how to love people without condoning all their sexual practices. It's been hard for us to figure out how to have moral convictions without living a condemning life toward those whose convictions are different. We've not always done well. We've not always done well with sin. Because we often tend to judge others who sin differently than we do. And the world has its sins that we love to condemn, but we have our sins that we love to ignore. Those are blemishes on the life of the church. We can't go on ignoring sins like greed, which is in us. It's in me. And envy, which is in us. Our community is built on envy and jealousy and gluttony. Those are sins that we wear on the outside of the dress. We've not always done well with sin. 
has not always done well with our enemies. Jesus was really clear on this. Love your enemies. Love them. And sometimes because of the nature of some of our enemies, we feel justified in hating them and publicly hating them. And we've not always done well. And it's, and it's not just those guys, it's us guys. It's us. It's me. I bring all my blemishes right into the church. I bring all my brokenness right into it. I bring all my wrinkles right into it. I can't help it. And neither can you. You bring them right in. And it ends up having the whole bride of Christ, the whole church of Christ, looking wrinkled and shattered and broken. And none of that is surprising to Jesus. The headline is, Jesus passionately loves his church. Not just when it's all cleaned up. Not just when it's all doing it right. But all the time. Jesus passionately loves his church. And whatever those sins are that trip you up, that might be different than the person who's seated next to you, whatever those sins are, Jesus knows about that. And he gave his life to clean those up. He gave his life to redeem us from those things. That's how much he loves us. When Donna was in the ER this week uh, after her little accident, uh, we're waiting for the doctor to come in and the nurse to come in and make things happen and her foot was looking pretty nasty and I'm just sitting next to her holding her hand and making sure that she's, you know, got what she needs, whatever I have the capacity to provide for her. And I'm sitting next to her, she's got her leg, you know, out on this rack and I noticed the whole side of her jeans was filthy. I mean, not, not like your mother said to go out, you know. Hey, before you go out, put clean clothes on, you know, underwear and the whole bit, you know. Don't have dust all over your pants. Yeah, but all, her pants were covered with dirt. Well, it's not how she went out. It's how she ended up after having a crash. And my role as a husband in the last few days and in the days ahead has been to help her clean up, not for the wedding, but for life. You come into a relationship with Christ and he, and he redeems you, he rescues, rescues you. He begins that process of cleaning you up, but then you go through life and you fall again and you get dirty again. And he goes, that's all right, I'm right here with you. I'm gonna clean that up. And he cleans it up with his blood with his life that he gave up for you. Jesus loves his church. The church is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is intimately wholly 
loved by the groom who does everything to make her beautiful. He does everything to make us beautiful as his bride. And then he invites us to engage in that process with him. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to clean you up and it'll all be fine. Just sit back. He says, I want you to engage me in this process. And so I want to invite you in to engage in this process. I want to give you a couple ways to engage in the process. One is through baptism. Baptism is the beginning step. Once you put your faith in Christ, you cross the line of faith. Baptism is the beginning step of watching him wash us. It's another metaphor using water to say, let's show that we're being washed by Christ. And some of you have just started this journey of faith. Maybe at Easter when we talked about resurrection. Maybe last week when we talked about faith. You just started this journey of faith. And maybe your next step is to be baptized. There's nothing like that beginning of when we engage Christ in the process of him cleansing our lives. Watch this. That's awesome. Here's the deal. Mother's Day weekend, we're going to do another baptism. I, for some of you, the best day in your mother's life would be able to find out that you got baptized on that day. Or maybe to join you and watch you be baptized on that day. Some of you, if you haven't been baptized yet, you haven't crossed that line of faith yet, maybe this is your time to get baptized. So we got a class coming up called a Begin Class on Monday, May 5th. It's a, it's a chance for you to get engaged with the process of what Jesus is doing in your life by that next step of baptism. And I don't want you to miss it. It's going to be a fantastic day for you and for those you love who Jesus is saying, hey, I'm, I'm cleaning you up, making you beautiful. There's another way that Jesus asks us to engage with him in this journey. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to these words. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. See, part of what it means when Jesus is shaping us and molding us and cleansing us is he's getting us ready to go out into this world and bring love and good deeds to our neighbors. And we're called to spur one another on toward that. So I want to invite you to something else. On May 1st, we're going to have a thing called Oikos Conference. Our Oikos is our neighborhood, our world. I don't believe God is asking you to change the whole world. But I do believe he's asking you to bring change into your own small world. And we want to help you do that. So on, so on uh, May 1st, 6.30 in the evening, Friday night, I wanted you to come and join us for the conference. And we're going to talk about what this thing looks like in a very practical, hands-on way. And let's see what God does among us. Jesus passionately loves his church. And he invites us to engage with him in that journey called faith. Let's share that together. All right? All right, do we have, we have time for a couple of questions to come up? We got some back there? Let's do a little Q&A before we wrap this series up today. What should Jesus do if the bride doesn't want to be made beautiful? What should, I'm not telling Jesus what he should do. Next question. No, no, just, what should... I don't know what he should do, but I, but I know what he does. He cleans us up anyway. He's not, he's not really waiting for permission. He's, he's actively engaged in our lives. Now, it goes better if you cooperate. I mean, don't you ever remember being in the tub as a child, and you're like, no, 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 and mom's scrubbing, you know, behind the ear, you know. It's like, it goes better if you cooperate. And, of course, if you cross the line of faith, that's what you want. It's like, hey, I want Jesus to be cleaning us up together. Good question. Let's have another one. If Jesus is the only one who can prepare his bride in this way, how are us ordinary husbands supposed to follow that example in this culture? That's a great question, too. Ordinary, well, I don't agree there's any ordinary husbands. You are all marvelous husbands. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, here's... Here's how I would follow. This is my thing of how I try and follow Christ as a husband. Don't try to do it grand. Try and do it small. Love your wife. Men, love your wife in small ways. Small, sacrificial ways. Where she sees you give up stuff. You give up time. You give up some of your desires, passions, interests, maybe, to be able to be with her in hers. It's just about sacrifice. And he may never call you to give up your life for your wife completely, but he's calling you to sacrifice for her. And that's how that works. And, and ladies, the same is true with us, when, of you, when we are all called to love our neighbor, sacrificial love. That's what Jesus did. One more. What are some practical ways to love but not condone? Awesome. I have no idea. Okay, at the next hour, could you guys give me like easy ones? How to love but not condone. How about the same way the Holy Spirit does it for us? 
You know the Holy Spirit does in us? The Bible says the Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives inside of each of one of us as Christ followers, and he lives inside of his thing, this thing called church. He lives in us. Do you think he condones everything that we do? No. When Jesus came to this world, what did they, what did they call him? What was his nickname? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. Do you think Jesus condoned everything we do? No way. And yet he lived with us. I think one step in loving the people around us that we don't want to condone what they do, but want to love them, is to be with them. Invite them to your house for dinner. Go to their house for dinner if they invite you back. And be with them. And you may have to swallow hard about some things you don't agree with. I think Jesus swallowed hard through his whole life being with us. And in that, he demonstrated his great love for us. All right. Hey, we'll come back to some more questions and answers. That, uh, that's kind of interesting. So we'll come back to that uh, in the weeks ahead. Okay, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thanks for your goodness to us. You are good all the time. You are faithful all the time. You lead the way for us, Lord, even in, in terms of how do we love someone that participates in things we don't necessarily condone or bless. Lord, you have sent your son to be with us. You've sent your spirit to be with us. So thank you for that. Thank you for the cleansing job that Jesus is doing in our lives. Continue that on, Lord. We, we want to cooperate with you in that. We want to be engaged with you in that. So we seek you and your blessing in that regard. We love you. We honor you together through Jesus. Amen.